Ladies and gentlemen, attention everyone. Welcome to No Picks After Dark. It's your boy Nick Burke, and you are now tuned in to the hottest podcast in the world with Aaron Dante, giving you the hottest interviews with the dopest people, sharing their experiences from your neighborhood all around to the world. Voted Best Baltimore Podcast by you, the listeners. Now, your host, Aaron Dante. Yo, Aaron, talk to him. Welcome, folks, back to the No Picks After Dark podcast. Again, I'm your host, Aaron Dante, and I'm so happy that you're here for again for the 100th episode for the No Picks After Dark podcast. And what better way to celebrate it and really kick it off with a bang is with my main man, Ivan Martin. How are you doing today, sir? Man, I'm doing outstanding, having a beautiful time here in my house. I done turned my tub into a jacuzzi. Things are going well. I just keep farting in it. You know how that goes. It's normal things. Fun times, you know. Big shots out. I have been going to Zeke's lately. And big shots out to another outstanding sponsor, Maggie's Farm. I did get a chance to stop by there the other day. But on top of everything else, man, something that's been killing me, man. Like, I thought we were halfway over with this. I was waiting to get my vaccine. And now we have a new coronavirus. And I'm waiting for Cardi B to drop a new video for this one. That's what I'm waiting for. I'm waiting for a new video. And everybody's talking about something. This is a new virus. It's the variant strain. It's coming from here. It's coming from there. It's from England. And now, it's, man, I think this new strain is from Atlanta. Like, if you've been on Instagram and you've been anywhere looking at video, Atlanta is operating like like a picnic. Like, Atlanta is chilling. Like, I saw an Instagram video the other day of somebody hanging out in Atlanta in a club, and, like, they were trying to be cute. Like, they had their mask on, but they were sharing a bottle of liquor. I was like, what are you doing? Like, you're just eating the purpose. It didn't make no sense. <laughs> it didn't make no sense at all. Now, being honest with you, you know, this thing is getting out of hand. We got the... We got the we got the English strain, then we got the, the South African thing, then we got this going on. At this point in time, after what happened with GameStop and the way people are acting on Reddit, I feel like, like I don't like capitalism, but hey, if COVID nineteen was a stock, I would invest. It is getting out of hand. Like that's how much it's getting out of hand. And it's like, man, it's like all the people on Instagram, I see them left and right sharing the videos, doing the TikTok dances. I was really, you know, the other day I was thinking to myself, I'm really waiting for somebody to come out with a new dance that has to incorporate a mask. That's the only thing. <laughs> like, one of these kids need to come out with a dance that incorporates a mask. That's what I'm waiting for. So, you know, this being Black History Month, I do want to have some fun and wrap it up with a little bit of fact. So check this out. Those of you all that did not know the Happy Birthday Black version, which, of course, was created by Stevie Wonder and sung in 1979 on Martin Luther King's birthday. As soon as he was done performing that song on stage, he told everybody, this is his birthday, it is a personal holiday, and you should write your congressperson to demand a passage of the bill for it to be a holiday. And that's how that went down. Wow. Wow. You, you, man, you dropping gems and jewels already. Oh, wow. I did not <laughs> like know that. I did not know that. Happy 100th episode, baby. Congratulations, Aaron, man. 
Hey, I I want to thank you for hopping on, you know, and coming on the ride. And, you know, it's, it's just, you know, I, it's an amazing ride. And I really appreciate everything you bring to the table. People love what you have. People love everything what you got going on. So we really, really, really appreciate you. Man, let's keep doing beautiful things, man. All right, folks. And he's out, uh, Ivan Martin Minute, man. You can't knock it. Hey, where can we find you on social media, man? Comedian Ivan Martin. Soon enough, I will stop being shy and create this TikTok. Other than that, man, catch me anywhere else. Motorhouse every Wednesday, Art of Comedy. Ivan Martin, thank you all. All right, folks. Thank you so much, and we'll be right back after these messages. Visit your neighborhood sanctuary and do wellness for a luxurious experience for everybody. Treat yourself and a loved one with a massage, facial, or an entire day of pampering with our deluxe spa day packages that include lunch from the restaurant next door, firing rice. For more information on booking or purchasing gift cards, visit their website at indowellness.com or call at 443-438-4048. They look forward to welcoming you and your loved ones to their beautiful new space at Soha Union, located at 4801 Harford Road, Sweet one. Hey, welcome back, folks, to the 100th episode again. 100 episodes, and I'm so excited to have one of my like favorite people on the show, the lawyer, legal expert, legal contributor to the show, coming in from San Diego. Hello, San Diego. If everybody remembers that from um, Anchorman, but uh. <laughs> but further, further ado, Miss Natasha Axelrod, how are you doing today? Good afternoon. Thanks for stopping by from uh, from Anchorman. Right, uh, I'm doing great. Hundredth uh, episode. This is exciting. Oh man, I mean, this is crazy. I cannot believe I've at a hundred episodes. One hundred episodes. Like that's like that means I mean I spoke to a hundred different people. Yeah. That's so. I'm so excited that you could share in this moment, and and you're a key contributor to the show this season, and I'm so happy that you're going to give us. You're Natasha's minute. What's going on? All right, hundredth episode. I was trying to figure out, you know, what can we talk about that was the hundredth of something. And last year we celebrated the hundredth anniversary of the ratification of the Nineteenth Amendment. And the Nineteenth Amendment, of course, is where women finally gained the right to vote. But the Voting Rights Amendments, including the Nineteenth Amendment, it's not really an affirmative grant. And as we'll see later, it really meant nothing for a long time. Uh, for particular women, because this, okay, so it's not an affirmative right in the sense that the language of the amendment is the right of citizens of the United States to vote shall not be denied or abridged by the United States or any state on account of sex. So you can't deny the right to vote on the basis of sex, or so the amendment said. And so this is really what the other voting rights amendments do too. It prohibits federal and state governments from denying the right to vote on that particular basis. But what this meant in practice was that mostly it was white women and some black women in the Northern states and the West particularly that gained the right to vote after the passage of the 19th amendment. But many black women continued to be denied the right to vote through discrimination that black men had been subjected to since the passage of course of the 15th amendment. So this is where you have your Jim Crow laws, including literacy tests, poll taxes, grandfather clauses, intimidation, violence, all of these horrific things that kept occurring despite the 15th Amendment and the 19th Amendment, all of these things kept occurring to keep Black women from voting, even after the supposed guarantees of the 15th and 19th Amendments of a legal right to vote. 
And so as all this is going on, you know, voting rights, of course, are a really important part of the fight for racial justice. And it really wasn't until the Voting Rights Act of 1965, 45 years after the passage of the 19th Amendment, that Black women truly started to legally have, or to have a legally protected vote as they should have had all along. And so this brings up kind of a falsehood that I think exists that, you know, you think once a law passes or a constitutional amendment, everything's great. And that's just not the case a lot of the time as we see, particularly with a fight for racial justice. You know, the Equal Protection Clause of the 14th Amendment, the 14th Amendment didn't really get its teeth until much, much later after it was ratified. So, you know, there's one thing to have, it's almost like having a theory that, yeah, people should be, shouldn't have the right to vote denied on the basis of race or sex, but that continued to happen in practice. So until a law gets its teeth, I call it, or until it's actually enforced in practice, it doesn't really have meaning. So that's what, um, that's the, the, the legal minute for today is, yeah, this, the 19th Amendment was great. And it meant that 100 years ago, back in August, so we're talking August 2020, 100 years prior, women did gain suffrage, the right to vote, but it didn't mean the same thing practically for Black women for at least another 45 years after that. Yeah, man, you break it down, meaning it's Black History Month. And I mean, you really just really shine a light on a lot of things because a lot of people thought, you know, when women were able to vote, everybody could vote. We call women can vote. And like you said, yep. that wasn't the case. And I really, really think a lot of our listeners will appreciate that and hearing that. And so really appreciate you dropping those jewels and gems, as we always say. And, uh, and again, I am honored to have you on the 100th episode of the No Picks of the Dark podcast. This is going down. And so we really appreciate you on the show. And where can we find you on social media? You can find me on Instagram at Natasha underscore Axelrod and on Twitter at Natasha Axelrod and my YouTube channel. I, I can't believe I'm a 37-year-old woman with a YouTube channel, but you know, um, it's how it, how it is nowadays. Um, but that's the, the legal blonde Natasha Axelrod. Well, you'll be on TikTok next thing we know. <laughs> you know how many people have suggested i guess there's a lot of lawyers on tiktok all these different kind i mean i don't i've never been on tiktok no i i feel like i went <laughs> i have tiktok and let me tell you it's <laughs> <laughs> what's it like is it is it worth it like know. is it a rabbit hole like what's gonna happen a rabbit hole. like i've found myself <laughs> like in, immersed for like two hours of just like and the reason why I say it, because it's, it's creative. People are being very creative of what they're doing. Yeah. And there's a lot of like, yep. this is kind of funny. <laughs> this is a rabbit hole. But again, again, we appreciate you coming to the show. We appreciate you dropping these jewels and gems. And again, you'll see, you'll, we'll, next episode, you'll be on the Valentine's Day special. So look out for that special. But again, we're celebrating the 100th episode. Folks, thank you so much. Miss Natasha Axelrod, thank you so much for coming on. Really, really appreciate it. Folks. We'll be right back after these messages. This portion of the episode is sponsored by Maggie's Farm, located at 4341 Harvard Road. Celebrate Valentine's Day at Maggie's Farm, featuring a three-course prefix menu for $55. Offering a unique menu for this special day that will include an amazing steak option, rockfish, handcraft cocktails, and many more delectable choices. Wine pairings for each course 
are available for just $20 more. Make this Valentine's Day unforgettable with Maggie's Farm Dining Experience. Open for dinner from 4 p.m. until 10 p.m. Wednesday through Saturday and serving brunch Saturday from 11 a.m. to 3 p.m. and Sunday from 11 a.m. to 4 p.m. Check out Maggie's Farm on Instagram and Facebook for daily and weekly food specials. And we're back, folks. We're back with a new segment that I really, really enjoy. I mean, this is my 100th episode, so I got to bring something, some new, some new heat, something brand new to everybody. And uh, this gentleman's been on my show before, Mr. Trevor White. I mean, this guy's doing big things, owner of VVS Tax and Accounting. You know, he, he does everything. Now, that's only one thing he does. I can go off a whole list of it, but we don't have all day. But we're we, we going to give him his flowers off the top. But I wanted to have him on the show because there's a lot of things going on out here right now with tax season coming up. And I think it's very important that people know what's going on. And uh, every week he will be on helping people out, giving people advice. And you know what? You can reach out to him afterwards. That's the better part. So if you have questions, but without further ado, Ms. Trevor White, how you doing, sir? How you doing? Good, good. Tell her, give, give us that. I'm going to call you the Trevor's Minute. It's your Trevor's Minute. Go ahead. For this first time out, you know, we're just going to keep it real basic and real simple. I want to give everybody some quick updates on what they should be doing to get prepared for this upcoming tax season. Obviously, nobody can file their tax return yet. The filing date got pushed back to February 12th. So everybody be patient. Once tax season does start, it's going to be really clustered because they didn't push back the uh, the due date. They just put back, push back the start date. So the start date is now February 12th. And the IRS is advising that everybody e-file this year, because if you're mailing your return, they still have a backlog from the 2019 returns. So you don't want to get caught up in that backlog. So e-file your return, and that gives you the ability to make sure that your return will get processed in a normal time frame. And then also, if there is any more stimulus coming through, a lot of people that mailed in their returns didn't have any of their account records on file. So that held up, um, held up their stimulus payments if they ever received it. Another thing, this year is not the year to DYI, okay? That's not a plug for myself. That is a plug for to make sure that people are doing their tax return right, but then also that they're getting full credit for all of the changes and then mostly important for them to get full credit for the stimulus, I mean, for the stimulus payments in the CARE Act, um, all of the things that pass through. Additions to your normal checklist, when you are preparing your tax documents, make sure you include IRS notice 1444. Okay, this is the notice that was sent to you after you received your stimulus payment. If you do not have that notice, you can still go online and check the IRS Get My Payment website to see if you receive your stimulus payment. If you have not received your stimulus payment and they said that you received it, you can run a trace on your stimulus payment by calling 1-800-919-9835. Okay, once again, that's 800-919-9835. So you can run a trace if when you go on the IRS website to get my payments, it's saying that you got a disbursement, but you never received it. And then also, if you received any unemployment and you're not used to receiving unemployment, make sure that you look out for your 1099 G form. OK, you do need to bring that in to get your taxes prepared because those 
that income was taxable. Okay. So those are the main things for right now. There'll be more things, more updates, and we'll be bringing them, you know, to you on a weekly basis. Now, I know a lot of people had kids this year that had COVID babies. So um, what do we do about that? People are like, you know, I, I'm not, I need my $600 for that baby I had. Yeah, yeah. What do you say? What do people do for taxes? So, so, so here's the thing about the COVID babies. Um, I wasn't fortunate enough. <laughs> <laughs> but for people that um, did have babies during the year, obviously the IRS was going off of your 2018 and 19 returns when they issued out the stimulus payments. So that child was not reflected. But when you go to file your 2020 tax return, the credit for that child, you will be able to receive the additional amount based on um, not just your income, but based on the additional requirements that you fulfill by having that child. So you will get that additional $600 for that child for not just the first payment, but also for the sex payment was $500. You'll be able to get that stimulus as well. So you will get credit for that child for both stimulus payments. Oh man! Oh man! What a time to be alive! Yes, nice, I, nice little extra amount. And now, how now? Can you tell the people where to find you? So you know, we like always just everybody. Where can we find you? If we have any questions? Social media, TikTok, any of that crazy stuff that kids listen to right now. I, 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 I don't do any uh, any TikTok or whatever. <laughs> but, but right now, you can find me on Instagram, um, Mister Dot Tax Pro on Instagram. Obviously, you can call my office four four three. 200-3251 and then I'm right on Liberty Road at 6004 Liberty Road. Right by Northern Parkway and Liberty Road, folks. Y'all know where that is. Right by that McDonald's. Tell you across from sure. McDonald's if you know Baltimore. Again, sir, thank you so much for dropping those jewels and gems. And I'm so excited to add you on the show. Yes, sir. This, thank you, black, black excellence. I love it. I love it. It's Black History Month. I love it. And we're having the 100th episode. What a great way to this would lead into the main dish. So I appreciate you, Mr. Trevor White. And we'll see you next week. Appreciate it. We'll be right back after these messages. This portion of the episode is sponsored by Found Studio Shop. Looking for unique gifts curated by an artist? Shop online at foundstudioshop.com and explore a delightful selection of gifts for Valentine's Day. Handmade jewelry, ceramics, cards, and more. Or pamper yourself or your loved ones with candles, gift boxes, and locally made bath and body products. All of this and more is available for shipping or local pickup at Red Canoe in Northeast Baltimore. Browse whenever the mood strikes at foundstudioshop.com. Welcome, folks, back to the 100th episode of No Picks After Dark Podcast. And, folks, I have the guest of all guests on right now, um... I am so delighted. You don't even know right now, folks. I've been trying to get this woman on for two years. She is harder than catching up with Where's Waldo, okay? And I look, uh, you know, me and her, I look up to her as one of my best friends. I was honored to be in her wedding. You know, it just, it goes on and on. We have so many great stories. So I said, I need you for my 100 episode. 100 episodes. She's been a stone cold supporter from day one of the podcast. And I really, really appreciate that, you know, the love and support, the text messages giving me truthful advice about how I should go, you know, what should I do? And, and, I, and sometimes it hurt, but I knew that she was looking out for me and she's been the game. She's been the business. She understands how business works. And, you know, but before I even say her name, all right, we, we go on again, the 100th episode again, folks, the 100th episode, we made it. We freaking made it. All right. 
Idra Katus Nelson is currently a financial executive for a company, for an organization right now. She started her professional career with a GE in their financial management and audit teams. She moved on to the financial service industry with the service roles at Goldman Sachs. From there, Deidre joined a well-known startup, SoulCycle. Hey, now. As the head of finance, taking that company from seven to 75 locations. She then moved to the startup at Glam Squad as a CFO before taking a CFL role, CFO role, a shared office social club start up called The Wing. All right. We, we, we're not even done yet, folks. We've got so many. We've got so much to go. She has many accolades in her career. Many, many. I mean, we could be here for two days, but we ain't going to do that. We, we got to give her her flowers, as the young people said. God give her the flowers. Some accolades include Fortune 40, under 40 in 2019. Nominated for Fortune, most powerful women, next generation. 2016, 2017, and the most recently added the Ward DQ Black Top 100. First ever curated list of African-Americans with storied success. Did I get that right, the last part? But Ward DQ, okay. Without further ado... My friend, a big supporter of the show, Ms. Deidre, how are you doing today? I'm doing very well. Thank you so much for having me on the podcast. I am honored to be on your 100th episode. And you are correct, from the very beginning since this started, it's just been really phenomenal to watch you grow and watch the podcast become what it has become. So thank you. Thank you for uh, allowing us to have this conversation. I mean, we've, we, I, you know, we, we've never really had a sit down conversation before. We have so many, but not like this, you know, um, mm-hmm. people a little peek behind the curtain of the inner circle. I always call it like, I never really, people always ask who, who's your circle. And I, you know, I tell them a little bits, pieces, bits and pieces. And many of them have been on the show actually. And you're one of the last ones that actually is coming on the show from inner circle of friends that I, you know, I, that I roll with. And I, I mean, I've known you for since 1999. Yes. We go back. We go Cuse. back. Cuse. We'll see you. All right. I got that. Syracuse shout out. She's a Syracuse grad. Oh, three. I forgot Syracuse University. If you're listening, y'all may want to give her a shout out and give her a call because she might give you guys some advice, you know, in that <laughs> circle. Just FYI. So uh, again, we go back to Syracuse. So let's give people a little bit of background before about you before we even go to where we are right now. Mm-hmm. Where, where are you originally from? I mean, right now we're talking. You're in California right now, out in Palo Alto. Is that right? Yep, that's okay. right. And where are you? Where are you originally from? Like, I mean, born, raised. Okay, so I was actually born in Wisconsin. Not a lot of people know this, but I was born in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. But we only stayed there for about nine months. So my dad. Um, worked for GE. So we would move around quite a bit, you know, as roles came up and we uh, moved to Connecticut when I was nine months old. So I grew up in Connecticut, you know, two towns, Simsbury and Cheshire, Connecticut. Nice. Nice. And um, what was your job growing up? Like, I mean, you, I mean, you, were your parents both business class parents? Were they working hard class parents? I mean, give us a background, like just growing up in Cheshire and, Connecticut. When I think of Connecticut, I think of like, I don't know, too, I didn't know too many black people from Connecticut back in the day. I think you might well, have a black person. I knew from Connecticut. 
That's probably that's probably true. So I think one thing to know is, you know, I'm a first generation American. Both of my parents immigrated from Guyana in the 60s. Um, so, you know, I, I grew up with immigrant parents who um, worked really hard to provide for their family. So my dad, as I mentioned, was an executive at GE and my mom was a nurse. She did everything from a school nurse to a home nurse to an emergency room nurse. You know, she she's even talking about like, do I get back in the game because of everything going on right now with the pandemic? Um, but, you know, I, I grew up in a, in a household of parents that really pushed me to do my best. And um, so the, I think the big factor about all of this is that they pushed me to do my best, but I was also one of probably five or six black people in the entire, um, the entire town. Um, so as much as they pushed me to do my best, I also uh, spent a lot of time trying to figure out who I was and have this experience of being othered, which was kind of consistent and common. Um, so I, I really put my, uh, my focus into my studies and to sports. And you know, the experience was tough, but I think it made me the person that I am today. Wow, wow, that, that, that's great to hear. I mean, I always tell people kind of like your story. I grew up, moved all around, and I mostly my schools I went to, I was only, my graduating class, I was three out of 34, 40, people that were black you know mm -hmm. and my parents growing up they really wanted to instill culture in me and they yeah. were like you we're going to get you into jack and jill of america and yeah. for people who want research you got to research if you don't know what jack and jill of america is okay i'm not going to give you education lesson but uh you got to look up to that and that really helped me out meet a lot of african-americans yeah you know and that helped me out a lot um was there anything opportunity like that for you in connecticut while you were growing up or was it just so my parents were, you know, what, what they really did is they brought the culture home. Like one of the, my fondest memories of my childhood was listening to music, you know, from eight tracks to CDs to cassette tapes. My parents played music all the time, Motown, Michael Jackson, everything that you could imagine, you know, was really music based. So I, I learned kind of music and, and that way. And what they also did, because again, I, I didn't have, you know, Connecticut is not a place where you have lots of, of African-Americans or black people that you can connect with. It's just not, it's the, the state's not built that way. Um, so what my parents did is every weekend we had black history, like learning. They, they had a lot of books. They would make me learn about folks that I wasn't learning about in school and read about it. And then we'd talk about it. And I almost had this like subset of school that I was going through with my parents to learn more about who I was. I mean, I, it's very hard, you know, I'll, I'll tell a quick story. You know, when I, when I was growing up, I didn't realize that I was black until I would say second grade. So I'm growing up around all these white folks. You, you're a kid, you think that, you know, everyone's the same. And I actually, we, we went down to Florida for uh, like to visit Disney World. And I remember, um, you know, saying to my dad, like, I really wanna make sure I get a tan so I could, people are gonna know that I went to Florida cause I've come back and I'll have a tan. And my dad, so this is second grade. And this, that was like really when my dad was like, okay, let's, let's have the conversation. Let's talk, let's walk you through like who you are and why you're different. And it's so amazing that 
that kids don't even realize. It's it's like it's it's something that you learn. You learn the hurt. You learn the pain. You learn all of that down the line. Like if if you didn't have to go through that, like we would be a much happier society of just people getting to know each other for who they are. Um, but I remember, you know, him. That was how I learned who I was, what I was, that I was different. And that's really when they started to really push the culture. The other thing that we would do is I had a lot of family in New York. So we would go to New York quite often. And like, that was where, you know, we'd, I'd learn about hip hop and Biggie and like all those things. So, you know, like my cousins would really school me on all of those things that, you know, your parents aren't going to share with you. But, you know, it took time. I think one of the things about growing up in a society like where I was, you have to force yourself to learn the culture because it's not going to be taught to you in the mainstream. I love this. I love this. I love this. Again, we're celebrating Black History Month. We're celebrating um, Black women doing their big things, breaking glass ceilings. We're celebrating a lot of this. So again, this reminds me of when I was growing up too. I love what you're talking about right now because it's bringing it home to me. Like just when I moved away, when I was young, we moved everywhere. Mm-hmm. And that was always like a private school I went to. And again, only a select few of Black people went to school there. And every mm-hmm. summer I used to come back to Baltimore. I would learn all the rap songs and the hip hop songs. And I, I'm, I'm cultured now, you know what I mean? And again, like you said, your parents, they're only going to tell you so much. You're going to leave. You got to read the Marcus Garvey, the Malcolm X's. You got the, the, you know, the all the historians, everybody out there, you know, the Angela Davises. You have mm-hmm. to go, your parents teach you those type of things. So I like that you were being honest and just telling the, the truth about your life growing up. Yeah. And, like, and so what happened? So what did, what made you want to go to Syracuse? I mean, what, let, let's, let's go there. We, we out of, we leave out of Connecticut, we didn't Syracuse. What, like, what made you want to go there? So, you know, my mom's side of the family was heavy in the medical field, lots of doctors, nurses, et cetera. So I, I had this feeling that I wanted to be a doctor, a pediatrician. I love kids, still do. And I wanted to um, become a doctor. I knew it was going to be eight years of school, but I was ready. Um, and so Syracuse, what I loved about it, they had a great biology program. So, you know, when I was figuring out where I was going to go, oh, I should probably tell you this. I did early admission to Brown and I got denied. So once that happened, I was like, okay, I need to find, you know, I need to go in my second, my second kind of tranche of schools, like where I'm really going to be able to um, really propel in in science. And Syracuse had a phenomenal program. Um, So I don't know if I've ever told you this story, but So my parents brought me up to Syracuse and I remember going to Marshall Street and buying all the books and like, it was like a thousand dollars for all the books that I needed for chemistry, biology, like all of the sciences, it's a thousand dollars. And it had this plastic wrapping on it that was like, do not remove the plastic wrapping or else you won't be able to return these books. And I'm like, ah, it's fine. You know, like, this is my this is my major, like I'm here to do biology, like I'm gonna, you know, this is great. So I took off all the wrapping, I had, I stacked all my books on my desk and I was like, okay, I'm ready for school. And I go to my first chemistry class, you know, it was like that Monday of school, I go to my first chemistry class, it's probably like 10 a.m. And I sit down and, you know, the professor starts speaking and he's like, okay, we're gonna have a quiz. This is like, he's like, hello, I'm Professor X, we're gonna have a quiz, put the books away. And he puts the quiz down and I start looking at the questions and I'm like, this isn't right. This isn't what I need to be doing. Like I had an epiphany right then in that, in that class when I was looking at that quiz. 
And I left the room. I closed up the, the quiz, left the room, walked outside. I'm on the quad. I called my parents and I was like, mom, this isn't for me. I, I don't want to be a doctor. Like, I don't want to do this. Like, this isn't for me. And I'm going to figure out what I want, but it's not this. And I'm just going to go general for now and um, figure it out. And she was like, the books, we just bought all those books, the thousand dollars, you know. Um, but, you know, I, I, that was such a pivotal moment in my mind, because that's when I said, you know, like, I had had this plan for years and years and years. And I was like, I'm going to do this. And I realized that it was just not the right world. So I, I pivoted to psychology. So I was doing psych for a bit. And then I really liked, you know, psychology, advertising, marketing. So I'm like, I'm going to get into marketing. And my dad was like, you know, if you want to get into marketing, you should kind of think about finance too, because those two pieces are really, really important in business. And I think like, if you can understand how a business operates and works from a financial perspective, you'll be able to really help them from a marketing perspective. So why don't you do both? And so I pivoted that year and I became a marketing finance major. And that's what I, I graduated from Syracuse with a, um, a degree in marketing and finance. But, you know, that that's shift from like chemistry day one, like I knew right away, like that was, it was not the right path. And I made a complete shift. I never knew that story, folks. Is it, that, you guys got the breaking story just like me. I never heard that story. Now I've known her forever. I never heard that story. I don't, you know, do, do our friends know that story? Like Michael, he was on the episode before. Does he know about the story? I don't know. Probably not. I mean, you know, by the time you met me, I was already kind of like set with, with my plan, but I got to tell you, like I interned at doctor's offices when I was in high school. Like I used to pretend I was like Dr. Deidre when, you know, when we were playing as kids. So it was a very big shift, but it was one of the most pivotal moments of my life where I just realized like, this isn't right. And I need to find something that like really gets me. I will tell you folks, I mean, every time I saw Deidre, she was in the library. She was always studying. I would hit him, hey, what y'all doing tonight? We got a big test tomorrow. I'm at the bar, like, <laughs> at the bar. <laughs> we'll catch y'all tomorrow. Uh, dad, you know, but I will always remember like that you were really about your business. Oh, it was always about that business. Okay. Not saying I wasn't about my business, but I, just, I, took, I took different routes. And, um, you know, I think the craziest thing that I will say that where stands out between you and I were just when we were in college together and one of our good friends had transferred to a school in Boston. And I just remember just, you're like, hey, let's go to Boston. I'm like, what? <laughs> and we just went, we just went. And that's like, that's how you are. You're like, let's just do it. We just hopped in the car and drove to Boston. And I was like, cool. And did, did you know this? That was my first time ever to Boston. Mm -hmm. I've never been to Boston day in my life. And I remember... We went to Boston, and this is old school, folks, for y'all to remember. There was a United Color of Benetton fashion show that night, and we went to the fashion show that night. And it was so much fun because I had never been to Fenway, uh, Lansdowne Street, all that stuff. And it was like, this is pretty cool. It's a pretty cool city. So shout out to you for definitely uh, just being spontaneous and just, I mean, she's just like, we, Aaron, you're going. I'm like, come on. <laughs> no, you going. So I definitely, and again, we've. Done spring break together, had a great time. So, like I said, we've gone back and gone back. So, all right. So, going into your senior year, let's let. Did you have to do an internship before you graduated from Syracuse? And what did you where did you do intern? Yeah. So I, you know, I had an internship at GE when I was a sophomore, um, and I, my dad actually uh, helped me get that that position and. I totally recognize the privilege in that 
Um, and what I would say is that I took that opportunity as a chance to not only really prove myself, but also prove, you know, my father, like make sure my father's reputation was intact by, you know, him, uh, you know, saying that I'm going to be a good, you know, intern and, and having this experience, their internship program was extremely intense. And only a few people of the internship program actually received job offers. And, and when he presented like, hey, you can do this. I was like, wow, I, I need to take this opportunity and I need to do really well so that I can, you know, see where this takes me. Um, and, you know, like I said, I recognize the privilege in that, but I also think that um, those types of opportunities, you need to prove yourself. And um, that's what I did. So I was. Um, I love it, but I love it. I love it. You, you, you said something very important. Like, I'm going to prove myself. I'm not going to be this here on my name. Yeah. I work hard. I won't work twice as hard to make sure nobody says, oh, well, you know, that's, that's so-and-so's daughter. You know, she, it is what it is. She, you know, she, that, that's his daughter. Let, let her slide by. You really were like, I'm coming in here. Chicken and butt. also, I, I should tell you, you know, as a black person, nobody lets you slide by. I mean, that, that just doesn't happen. Um, so, you know, it would have been really tough for me if I wasn't performing. And so, I really wanted to prove myself. I went the extra mile. So I was a sophomore when I did that, going into my junior year, I was a sophomore. They called me back in um, my junior year to intern again. So I did that. Um, and I was like, wow, this, this could be you know, a career for me. Like I like GE, I like the people I'm working with and I'm learning so much. Like I, I just was blown away at the real life experience that I was getting. Um, and at the end of it, I was offered a full-time position. So that was like, I went into my senior year at Syracuse with a job, which was a lot of people did not have that. And I just had to finish strong. And, and my goal was to do that. And if you do that, you get the role. So it kind of just worked out. Really it's well. interesting. Now, it was only a few of us that actually had jobs really coming out going into our senior year, really. Yes. I remember I already had to get lined up. Um, as soon as I did my internship, it was pretty much, I had a gig by, I had a job by Thanksgiving of senior. Yeah. yeah. And it was only a few of us, like you and a couple other people we knew that, that had jobs. A lot of people didn't have jobs, you know? It was tough for a lot of people out here. Mm -hmm. um, and I remember you had your gig, it was in Atlanta, right? Were you going first in Atlanta or were you in Connecticut first? I was in Connecticut, but I had just left Atlanta, so that's probably where that's coming from. Okay, I, I, I'm confused. I don't want to tell your story. I want. I guess remember you had your job and because I, I went to Jersey and you weren't, when we graduated, you were in Connecticut right after? Yeah. How long were you in Connecticut for? I was in Connecticut for six months. So I joined a program at GE okay. that was six month rotations. So it was, you do a rotation at a, and you have a new boss and a new role and you also have class. So it was like the GE training programs are world-class. Like they were built on how to create like really strong um, workers, really strong uh, managers. And so every six months you're in a new role with a new boss and you have to learn their style. You have to learn the role and you also have to take class during that time. So that's why I moved around a lot because I was, you know, I was at in Connecticut, then I went down to Atlanta, then I went to upstate New York, back to Connecticut. So was moving around those years. And my, my kind of church or 
uh, ability to kind of come back to life was when I would see you and go to New York and we'd have, you know, we'd have our friends and, and just kind of be able to get back to that, that cues for the moment. So um, yeah, that was my, my first role at a, at a GE was really that, that program. Yeah, I just remember you were the one that everybody was like, yo, hey, where's Deidre? She's somewhere. We don't, I mean, cause I lived in Jersey at that time. So we all, all the, all our, most of our friends lived in New York at that time. So it was like, yeah, we'd call you, hey, which, how you feeling down there? I love Atlanta. Okay, okay, cool. We anybody coming to visit? Nah, I don't think Jen Brown might have came down, or somebody else might have came down. But yeah, you know, I had a few folks come down. <laughs> we, we we were like, she she come back to the Northeast eventually. So, were there a lot of black females in those programs that you were in that were mentors to you, possibly that could said, "Hey, let me take you under my wings. Let me show you what, how we do things around here." Or was it one of those things where somebody else said, "Hey." They took investment in you and said, we like what you're doing. We like your work ethic. Take us, take, like, cause, because a lot of young African-Americans are listening to this show. Yeah. A lot of them females, males, and they want to know, like, how can I aspire to get to where I want to get? When you first started out, was there anybody out there for you, mentoring you, anybody out there sharing you advice, giving you heads up? You should look out for this. You should look out for that. I'll let you go ahead. Yeah, so, so uh, at GE, they had something called the African-American Forum, which my dad was a, a part of. And it was basically all of the Black people at GE. And so at the time when I was there, there were 400,000 employees of GE. So they had these affinity groups and uh, the African-American Forum was a very big program um, where they would even have symposiums every summer and all of the Black GEers would go to DC and they'd get to know each other and, and so on. So when I started, you know, my dad knew a number of African-American women um, in different positions and he, he connected me with them very early on. It's like, you should set up time. And again, it's like, thanks for setting up the time, but it's up to me to continue that relationship and continue, you know, spending time with them, understanding what they're going through, sharing what I went through. So I really relied on, on these women, especially when I went down to Atlanta because I was by myself down there. So, you know, one of them would take me to her church every Sunday, like going down to like a Southern Baptist church. I'd never experienced that. Um, but really, I, you know, I could name all of them right now. Like that's how prevalent in my head I remember, um, you know, going through that experience and learning from them. And I would say like those tools that they gave me um, are, are things that I, I keep in mind now as I think about everything that I do. So for example, um, you know, what they told me and, and what I keep, what I share with others who ask me for advice is like the level, the playing field is not level for us. When we walk into a room, we are, oh, there's, a, there's bias immediately when we walk into a room. And so it is our job to make sure we know our numbers, make sure we know everything back and forth, so when we're called on, there's no question about our knowledge. And so those types of little things are, are what I was instilled with as I was going through my career at GE. And, and I, would, I gotta tell you, like kind of experiencing that helped me get those promotions, helped me, you know, people feel secure in the fact that they could rely on me for understanding and knowing what I could know. And, and that's really like those types of, of insights are really what I, I still to this day, I carry with me in all my work. I love that. I love that. I love that. You give me some, uh, you give me drops some jewels and some gems right now. I like that. And a lot of people don't understand that, you know, you, you know, always, my parents always taught me, you know, and I, it's funny, I'll think about it now. 
when I was young, I was like, I don't feel like going over so-and-so's house. And it was like a house party or a house gathering. And my parents were like, you never know who's going to be there. And you never know who you might run into and talk to. Mm-hmm. And always show your face in the place. It doesn't matter what you're doing. So that is the, when I was going through the ranks of when I was working at Wegmans and things of that nature, I always showed up to something. Even if I didn't want to go, I went to it. And that's what helped me with, with me working there and doing so many great things and 13 years of being there. I loved it. Um, so I like what you're saying. Now, a lot of people don't understand it. A lot of people don't understand, like, you got to know everything twice more. Yes. You know, we get scrutinized even harder for everything. You know, you know I remember I was one time like, oh, are you going to stay out and do drinks with them? Like, nah, I just can't have one drink. I'm out. I'm out. I don't want to be a part of the, I don't be a part of the discussion tomorrow. I want to be a part of the positive discussion, you know? And so I, I definitely get that. So now you, you leave GE and you go to the golden dome, right? Is it, is it good? It's the only place that's the golden dome. As you, as I know, golden sex, that's a whole different world now. Yes. You, you, I mean, GE is the big leagues, but golden sex is like the golden standard right now. I mean, what it still is. How'd you get there? Tell us how we, how we got there. Um, you know, I think the, the community of Black people that worked at GE that migrated to the city was big. So I knew someone who managed our uh, HR who had left and gone to Goldman. So I connected with him um, and said, you know, what's, what's open right now? So one of the things about GE, as I mentioned, I was moving around quite a bit and I had been promoted into this role where I was 100% travel. So I had no home. Like I basically was living out of a suitcase and that was hard. You know, you're, you're 24, 25 and you are just like constantly on a plane and um, looking back now as, as we haven't been on planes in a year, I'm like, oh, I love, you know, I missed that. But, but, but at the time I really wanted to settle, settle down, find a city and just be there. And also, you know, you were there, like all of our friends were there and it just felt like the right time to settle down. So um, I reached out to him and he said, yeah, we're, we're um, hiring in, in uh, our product control group, which is, you're basically like a controller for a, a trading desk. So you're managing the P&L and, and um, reporting to the traders how they did each day, so on and so forth. Um, and so I interviewed for that. Um, it went really well. I met, you know, I would say at Goldman, you know, there was like eight people that I met and all of, you know, it was really, I was like, wow, this is going to be like, true like you know financial services like that is it is like the industry so so it'll be a really great learning experience like i think about all my roles as what am i going to learn and how is it going to make me um, better so i started at goldman in 2007 and i would say within two weeks the financial crisis kind of kicked off and started and I'll, i'll never forget my boss saying to me, like, I've never seen this before. Like, and I'm like, what did I do? Why did I leave GE? Like, and I, I'm now in this place and it's like, things are going left and right. The, the housing price, like everyone knows kind of what went, what happened at that time. Um, so, so then I, I made that decision, like, as these things are happening, as like, everyone is freaking out, there's layoffs happening. And um, I said, I'm just going to put my head down and keep doing what I'm, I'm here to do. So that's what I did. Like, I, put my head down and I started really getting into the work, really getting to know my traders, really getting into understanding what was going on. And, you know, there's peaks and valleys throughout that. Um, all of it, great learning. And um, through my time there, I made, I had great relationships with my traders and they actually 
pulled me over to the other side. So I was kind of on the other side where I, I report to them independently uh, and then they pulled me over. So I was on their team um, in about two, about two years after I was at Goldman. Wow. Wow. And um, like what things did you take away from working at Goldman that, that you can share with us or anything that you learned? You know, I would say that what happened at Goldman because of the crisis that was happening outside in the world, um, it really gave me the opportunity to see how I want to show up at work. Um, you know, every day there is major issues happening with housing and things like that. There are firms around me that are competitors of ours shutting down and people losing their jobs. And I, I remember New York just feeling like very eerie and quiet and weird. And, and, you know, this is when Bush would be getting out and having conferences at night and trying to get people comfortable. And I, I like, I, I really think that at that time it was put your head down and go and do what you can to learn, but also do what you can to not be a part of like, not let it consume you. So I really took advantage of being with my friends during that time as, as much as I wanted to learn. I really wanted to also disconnect from everything going on too. And, and I, I think that was the first time I really started to think about purpose and self-care and what am I doing and things like that. So, you know, the learning was really, really critical, but I would say, um, you know, that time also started to make me realize, you know, there's, there's more important things in life. I got to really focus, like building a career is important, but also, you know, your personal life and um, having purpose in what you do is really important. So I think that that was a, a great conduit to try to figure that out. That's nice. There's always a moment when you just sit there and I'm like, I work, 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 but I don't really spend time with family and friends. Yeah. You, know, you, you, it's, you hit that moment in life. And I think money's everything. I mean, it does help out. So it does help out. But again, your mental peace, mental peace is really good. I mean, I tell people, everybody, some days you can, like you're working and working and working, but it's not like coming home to a family and friends and having that step away from it. Now, now we're home and work is everything, which is a whole different yeah getting caboodles in itself. So that's a whole different story. So leave Goldman. Your next step is you, how did you end up with Soul Cycle? I mean, when I think of Soul Cycle, I think of everybody riding the bikes and, you know, that was one of the first things that came out with the bike rise and the, the, some people called it quote unquote a cult because it was like the whole thing. Tell us, how did you even like connect with Soul Cycle? Like, how did it even happen, you know, when, I looked at when I think of Soul Cycle, I think of white people. I think about a whole bunch of rich white people that got money that can pay for a bike class where I'm paying same price for a gym, a whole gym, but they paying the whole price for a bike. How do you get how does a black female get in that circle? How do you even get there? Like that's I mean, I know you got skills. We know you we know you smart. We know, but how do you get to that circle? So I um, that was a really packed question. So let me see if I can break that down. So I, I uh, was actually called about the role at SoulCycle. So someone reached out to me and said, hey, you know, they're looking for, it was a director of finance at the time. And 
What's really funny is that Goldman is right next to, there's a Soul Cycle location, Soul Cycle Tribeca location that I actually used to walk by to go to Goldman. So I would walk by this place and I would kind of look in it and you'd see all these people at the time, the uniform uniforms were yellow shirts and they'd just be like smiling and happy. And then I'd like walk into Goldman and everyone's like not as happy and not, you know, like it's just like a very different juxtaposition of, of comfort and, and whatever. So um, I, I said, well, I don't really know what it is. And um, the recruiter was like, well, take a class and then tell me your thoughts after that. So I, I signed up for a class. This is when you could actually get into classes and just go. Um, so I signed up for that class that night and it was amazing. Like he, he played, the instructor played all of the best music. I walked out of there and felt like I had just had like a life-changing experience. And I know that's really silly to say, I was riding on a bike that went nowhere, but the point of Soul Cycle is that you have 45 minutes to yourself. You have 45 minutes to disconnect. You have 45 minutes to just work on what's important to you. Um, there's a lot of great um, commentary that the instructors are doing during the class and it just feels really good. So I walked out of that class, I'm like, wow, if I can have that type of experience on a bike, imagine what this is doing for other people. And what I had told you before about trying to figure out purpose, now I can take my financial acumen, my what I understand about finance and help get this out to more people so they could have exposure to it. Like I really understand my purpose here. So I wanna do this. Um, so after that, I ended up going through the interview process. I was like, sign me up, let's do this. Started going through the interview process. And then I met the founders of SoulCycle. And, you know, I, I told you I had um, mentors at GE. Um, but they were mentors and it wasn't all the time. And we, you know, we would have our meetings every quarter or so. Um, but I met the founders of SoulCycle and I was blown away that I would actually be able to work for two women who I felt were just trying to create something really special and wanted the support from a financial perspective and I could bring that to them. Um, and they ended up being like some of the best managers I've ever had. Um, and I really, really enjoyed my time at SoulCycle. But all that to say, throughout the interview process, I was like, wow, I have purpose with, with my understanding of finance and what I could bring. I have two really wonderful women leaders, which I had never had before. I had mentors, but I had never had a, a woman boss who you know, was going to direct direct and, artic and um, architect this. And um, I really believed in the work and I believed what SoulCycle is doing. And I really thought that this would be, this could be really life-changing for folks if they have that opportunity. We used to joke around the cost of SoulCycle was the is the cost in New York of getting two drinks and fries at a bar. Like it is not, you have to make up you have to decide what's important to you. And if you wanna do that, cool. If you wanna to go to SoulCycle and focus on yourself for 45 minutes, like do that. Um, so I, I really believed in what we were doing at SoulCycle and, and who we were bringing um, this exercise to. And I thought that it would be a great, great opportunity for me um, to, to really take the skills that I had learned at GE and Goldman Sachs and, and, and run it through this, this brand new startup that was, was just trying to get its, get its legs. Wow. wow. All right, folks. And we'll be right back after these messages. 
The No Picks After Dark podcast is fueled by Zeke's Coffee. Have you tried their coffee yet? I'm telling you, there is something different about it. Maybe it's because they roast their beans in a fluid coffee roaster, which provides the most accurate roasting temperatures and made with love. You will just have to check it out for yourself and try their delicious food while you're at it. Open now for curbside service, carryout, and delivery, and they also do wholesale. Visit Zeke's Coffee at 4719 Harford Road, open Monday through Friday, 7 a.m. to 6 p.m., and Sunday, 8 to 5 p.m. Kitchen closes at 3 p.m., or visit Zeke'sCoffee.com, and you too can be fueled by Zeke's. And folks, we are back, and um, um, so we just left off about SoulCycle. And um, she talked about how she was helping people with the health and purpose in life. And it's interesting because I remember when you started with Soul Cycle, I had started doing cycling down in Baltimore at my gym. And I was like, yeah, I, I like this. I dig this. I had a um, teacher that did hip hop spin one night a week. And let me tell you, that class, if it was 50 bikes, it was 50 bikes packed in there. We were sweating like sardines and it was hot. But everybody went and I remember when you told me the concept of it. I was like, I like, I dig this. I really dig this. And you know, you can go and dance. And um, I remember it was crazy because uh was it for I was I did a class. Did I do a class in Miami? I did a class in Miami actually. And I was like, this is legit, like legit. I mean, I, I mean, and I was on vacation in Miami and I did a class. <laughs> I was like, this is awesome. And I was so proud of what you were doing. I mean, you, we said in the bio, you went from seven to 75 locations, mm-hmm. seven to 75 locations of growth folks. That's amazing. Cause somebody was telling her, somebody had to do the numbers. Somebody had to figure numbers back there and find out, you know, can we really do this? Does this make sense? That's one in one. I mean, I remember, is this how much my friend Deidre loved her job? We would be in DC and she'd be like, there's a soul cycle in this corner right here. The soul cycle coming up. I'm like, we off work. Come on, we we're not talking about this. But you were so proud of what you were doing and what you were accomplishing at that time. And I was like, you know what? It, you, I love it. You know, I mean, I rode bikes in DC. You know, I was like, hey, I'm gonna you here? Let's let's ride. You know, for my birthday we did it one year the birthday okay. ride. And that was, I mean, it really it, it helped me out actually. And I would never told you this with my health because mm-hmm. I realized how important health is, especially with. The health of my family, black men, they don't, we don't talk about health as, as taboo. We don't talk as much about it, but you know, it made me realize like, I need to get myself together. You know, yeah. if I want to be here for my kids later on in life, I want to be here, you know, and I really appreciate that because I never told you that, but that, that was, you really wanted the, pe- the people that spur that on for health wise, because you had something that you was very important to you that I was like, damn, I really need, I, I really need to do this for myself. And I loved it. You know, I went out, I got the show soul cycle shoes and, you know, I still riding right now. My bike, I got, I bought a bike at home, you know, so not soul cycle bike though, but um, another bike. Let me, let me tell you something that's really interesting about soul cycle too. You know, you asked me about um, moving to soul cycle and what, you know, what gave me the confidence. And I would tell you that when I first, so yes, the recruiter said, take a class. I love the class. But when I read the job description, for, for the role, there were a few things on the job description that I had never done. And I remember saying to my, my girlfriend at the time, who's now my wife, and I said, um, I don't think I could do this because this, this, and this, you know, on the job description, I've never done before. And she was like, no, of course you can do it. You will learn it and you'll, you'll do it. And it's okay. Like you don't have, like, 
you don't have to look at the job description and, and say like, oh, I didn't do this one thing and that's gonna you know, uh, automatically disqualify you from doing that role. And she was right. And in fact, like there were a lot of things that I had never done. Like that, that first year at SoulCycle, I joked because my review, I had written like 50 things that I had implemented just because it's a startup and I could have really, I started a lot of things. And like a lot of them I had never done before. I had never put into practice. And it just goes to show, like, I think we as, as people get bogged down in looking at things like that saying, oh, we can't do this because of that one thing. When actually that's never the case. Like you, you can learn, you can you know, talk to your mentors. You can say like, I've never done this, but I wanna learn and who can help me get there. And I think it was really her that got me, like without her, I don't think I would have continued to go down that, that path because I just wasn't, I, you, you're not confident in yourself just because of things like that. And, and that's another learning that I think is really important for folks. It's like, you don't have to be this prescriptive thing. Like nobody's looking for that anymore. Like what can you bring to the role that is really gonna differentiate you? And that's what you have to go in with. I tell a lot of people this, I say, you know, you can come to the, when you go to uh, the interview, you might not know everything when I dag on question sheet that they're asking you, but people now, and you, you, you are in the business, you probably see it more than I do. They want to know if you're the right fit. Are you the right fit? Can you adapt to things? Well, are you able to learn? Yeah, there is some element of things of things you should know, but if you can adapt and learn, people look at fits now. They look at, does this person fit with the culture of what we're doing right now? Mm-hmm. And you can always teach somebody how to add one plus one, but the right fit is key for any yeah. business and any need to survive. Yeah. And you obviously were the right fit for a soul cycle. You obviously were. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I like that you were, again, you, when you were there, you were so positive about it. You were always talking about soul cycle. You always talk about health, how great the company was. And that, that was reassuring to hear that. Mm-hmm. I hear so many people who hate their jobs. I hear so many people who just like, I was going to get my nine to five and rolling out. You know, I hear a lot of people say, hey, let me get my money, go, gone, you know, but you really, really enjoy something you were doing. So that, so that now you did the 70, 77 to 75. You're like, all right, I've conquered that. Okay. Um, At that point, SoulCycle was moved. The owners were moving on. I don't want to tell the story, but they were moving on, correct? They had already moved on. They had already moved on. And I guess you were like, man, I ain't staying around this ship. This, This ship is... No, I mean, I want to roll with them. I'm not trying to roll out with myself. So what was your next step? What was your next step? And what was your thinking when they left? What was your thinking in your mind? Like, damn, like these people, I'm, I'm, I mean, they're mentoring me. They rolling out. I'm here with somebody, some new bosses. Like it's about to be a whole new situation. What did you do? I mean, so, you know, they, um, I really wanted to, I, so everything I do, when I think about like future and career, it's all based off of like, what can I learn? I'm really like, that is really my basis for taking roles. I really feel that like the more exposure I get to certain things, the better type of financial uh, person I will be. So, you know, there were a lot of things that happened at SoulCycle even after they left that I was still learning, still growing and, and really, um, building up, you know, my, my tool chest of, of um, uh, financial, financial acumen and things that I just felt that was really going to help me um, learn and grow. 
when I went to Glam Squad, um, it was for a new purpose. Like now we are going through something, um, we are raising money through um, the venture uh, process and I had never done that before. So I wanted to um, have that experience. So I joined Glam Squad to help them, you know, raise their series C at the time. Um, and I, you know, I, I thought, what can I learn? Who am I going to learn from? The, the CEO of Glam Squad was, was phenomenal. I thought that I would really learn a lot from her. She'd had a, a lot of experience and, and I took that role to do that. Um, the same thing with the wing. The wing, um, you know, had two locations at the time. They were growing, they were planning to grow. They had just raised a significant round. And my, my goal there was to help them scale just as I did at SoulCycle. But now there's a different context, there's a different theme, there's a different mission. Um, all of which, you know, kind of always went back to what is the purpose and, and what are we doing for folks? Um, but also it's like, what can I learn? Who am I going to learn from? And how am I going to get consistently better? Um, so that's, you know, I think about my career that way. Um, I try to always focus on growth and personal growth. Um, and also, you know, how my, my, the support that I bring could lead to better things. For the now, a lot of my guests won't know what the Glam Squad is in the wing because a lot from Baltimore, remember this is Baltimore based. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, so give, give them like a two sentence things at each one, just so they kind of have a background of. Okay, so Glam Squad um, is a on-demand hair, makeup and nail. So they come to your house, a stylist comes to your house and uh, you know, does a blowout, makeup application and so on. So that, that is Glam Squad. Um, and The Wing is a co-working space and social club um, that was designed for women. So it, well, there, were, there were physical spaces where you could go and work, get a coffee, get a meal, have a meeting. Um, and we really focused on, I think what was really powerful about The Wing is the community aspect that we would focus on. So we would have all sorts of folks come to The Wing and uh, speak to our members. Everyone was, a, if you were um, a part of the wing, you were a member. Um, so uh, that, I think the community base, so that's why we call it a, a social club as well. Okay, okay. So we're gonna pivot a little bit. We're gonna pivot a little bit. So look back at everything you've done. And again, we're, we're both still young. We're still, we're still, we're hitting our stride as they people say, you know, what do you think? Like, like you were, what do you think? I mean, you look back at your, like when you started, from you wanted to go to be a medical doctor and all that good stuff. Now you're doing finance. You're, you know, you're the top, all these accolades that you're, you know, Fortune 500, top 40, you know, all that stuff, all that good stuff. Mm -hmm. Fortune top, you know, where do you like, I mean, if you look back at your life right now, what would you say, like, what would you say about it? What are some things you would think about that would come to your mind right now? Like, just like, just think about where, where, where you are right now, where you started. No, I, I think about that quite a bit, actually, because I really feel like looking back, I'm like, wow, if that brick didn't fall into place, like would I be here? And what would happen if, you know, the financial services industry was a disaster and I couldn't even get that job at Goldman when I wanted to, to start. Um, so I am, I'm thankful. I look back and I'm thankful for um, the opportunities that I've had. I'm thankful for the relationships that I've built. 
Um, I'm thankful that, thankful, grateful. I'm thankful that people took chances on me. And I also look back and say, like, I'm glad I worked hard. I'm glad that I put in the effort. Like, so, you know, you, you said that comment about SoulCycle. I really did, I loved working there. I literally loved working there. I was excited to go in every day. I was excited to have the experience. I loved working out there. I loved the people, the instructors, the founders, like everyone was just great. My team was awesome. Like I built my entire team and they were great. And I just, I'm so glad that I had that experience. And I, I know that, you know, there's an element of if you have the right people around you, you know, good things happen. And I, I really do believe that. I, I, I now try to support everyone that I, you know, have had relationships with. If they need something, they call me and I do my best to get it for them. Um, my team, I still do reference checks for them and I haven't worked at SoulCycle in, in a while. It's, you know, so, but, you know, they still put me down as the reference. And I, and I always say to whoever calls, like, if you don't hire this person, I would hire this person. So, you know, like it is just, I, I really want to, uh, I repay those that have, that have really helped me get there and, and want to really just know, I want people to know if they know me that I want to help them get to, you know, live their dreams. That's really my goal. Now, I, I wanted to, the most of the reason why I had you on the show because it's very, very important. First, Black History Month. Secondly, I needed to get you on. Thirdly, you're doing some amazing things and, and it's inspiring. And I want people to be inspired by this. I want people to be like, all right, there's somebody that looks like me out there doing big things and, mm -hmm. it, 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 and it can happen. Um, do you ever find yourself where you, people reach out to you now and say, hey, can you be my mentor? Can you, like younger African-American females, you know, is there a connection? Are you connected with any groups out there? Is there anything that somebody says, hey, you know, oh my God, I just met this most amazing person. She's, she's been doing big things at Goldman Sachs, Soul Cycle, The Wing. Like, I mean, you know, I mean, if I had a daughter, I'd be like, hey, you know, you need to call her up, you know, and, and have, you know, Aunt Deidre sit down with you and just talk, you know. But, you know, I'll even, even with my son, I will. My son, I will have him come down and talk to you because I think. Yep. Uh, I will, you know, I mean, you, but do you have those relationships now that now you're in that role now? Because now you look at, you were that 20, 21, 20 year old. Mm -hmm. Are you now in that role in life now? Oh, yeah. And, and, you know, it's, it's to the point where when, so this wasn't this past Thanksgiving, because, you know, quarantine, but the Thanksgiving before, we usually have a very big Thanksgiving, my family's pretty big. And, um, at that time, we, my parents had a family friend come over and this, this guy was, I think he's going into his sophomore year and they kind of cornered me in the kitchen. They're like, please talk to him. He's not sure what he wants to do. And I just think that you could give him great advice. I mean, this is one example, but yeah, like, you know, I, like I said, like, I really, I feel that if I did not have that, I would not be where I am today. So I am very, very open. I get a lot of requests on LinkedIn. I, um, you know, get random Instagram uh, DMs from folks. I, I, I received one from someone in Paris who wanted me to mentor her. Like it's, I, I think that if you are reaching out to be, you know, have a mentor, like why not give advice? Why not give some of the tools that I learned? Why not give 
that, uh, you know, to that thought process of going into a meeting and making sure you know everything back and forth so you can answer every question, like just talking. And so I try to do it as much as I can. I try to support folks that reach out to me as much as I can. Um, and yeah, I think you have to pay it forward. And I will tell you folks, I mean, I, I, I reach out, you know, I reach out. I mean, I have no shame. I tell people, listen, I know people, I got, I got friends smarter than me. So I'm going to ask them the questions because they're in the field, you know, and I remember when I started the show, I, I talked, I reached out to Deidre and my other friend, Mike. I said, listen, this is what I got going on. I talked to them separately. So they, I didn't want them knowing that I was talking to either of them. I wanted their perspectives because they are, they, they're in the game. They understand business. You know, I remember we had a situation come up and um, it was a crazy amount of money that somebody wanted to work with me on. And I remember it was really, it was, it was a tough pill to swallow because I broke down everything to Deidre and Mike and Deidre was like, no. And I was like, damn, that was quick. And, but, but, it, but after she explained to me the business aspect of things, does this make sense? Why would you do this? For the podcast, I was like, damn, that, that it makes sense now. You know, I understand it. And it was always having a different perspective of somebody outside looking in that doesn't know who's not inside. And that's why I want to tell you, I love you for doing that. That was very helpful on my growth as far as what I'm doing right now, you know, this, this, this hustle. But um, I wanted to really let you know and, you know, tell you that that was very important that you did give that advice and, you know, it was like, thank you. And I don't think I've ever told you that, but I probably told you a million times, but thank you though. I really do. Um, where do you see yourself? I mean, do you see yourself, you know, doing like work with NWACP essence and like that for like black, I remember you were on black enterprise for a hot second, right? You're on black enterprise. I remember that. Magazine. Yeah. Were you on? What's that? You were on black enterprise, weren't you? I was. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. And what was the article about? I just want to give background. What was it about? If you remember. The article was about, well, very similar to this, um, you know, talking about some of the, the trials and tribulations you go through as a, a black female in a very uh, white dominated world. Um, and uh, it was really just a, a way for me to articulate some of the things that I've gone through, some of the uh, lessons that I've learned and, um, you know, how, how I think about things. And so I, I really enjoyed um, working uh, with the author of that article um, to, to craft that because there's not a lot of stories like that. Um, you know, I, I actually received quite a few um, LinkedIn posts from uh, CEOs and founders who are trying to diversify their leadership team and look for, um, you know, Black CFOs or, you know, um, Black leaders. And, um, you know, they reach out to me because they're, 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 I've been out there before, so they know that they can reach out to me. Um, and, I appreciate that people are trying to diversify their executive teams, um, but that was the that was the goal of that article. It was to to really you know put a spotlight on the fact that there are not many of us, and because of that, what are the things that we have to go through um, to to really make ourselves known and and be believed? Now, for the audience who might not know, Black Enterprise, you know, Black Enterprise is like everything to Black people as far as business wise. Back in the day when I was growing up. My dad has a subscription of Black Enterprise. And when I heard that my, my, my best friends was a Black Enterprise, I was like, oh, you like George and Wheezy right now. You moving on up. Because I was like, Black Enterprise was the thing to be in. You know, it was like, 
the Jets, Ebony Magazine. You and Black Enterprise, you know you made it. You know you made it. That's what everybody always says. And again, very proud of you to be in that space. Now, you're in that space right now. How many other Black CFOs are you really are out there? I mean, I know, I know you can't know. I know you don't have a number, but do you conspire with a lot of Black CFOs? Um, is there something, as an organization out there? Probably not. Is there anything that you guys have, I mean, it's just weird. It's a weird situation out there, but how do you communicate? How does that, how do you, how do, I mean, you're in a whole different frame of different part of the game. How do you communicate with others that are, are black? I mean, yeah. how does that reach out work? I mean, it's not like a back signal saying, Hey, you know, yeah, I'm over here. How does that work? <laughs> so let's, let's use this podcast as an opportunity for all the black CFOs to reach out to me and let's start a group. Let's start, you know, let's start building something um, on Facebook. It's really, you know, it's random. Like I'm connected with others through people. Um, people reach out to me on LinkedIn. I would say LinkedIn is really the, the glue that, that drives that. Um, but I don't know, you know, I don't know if there's a, a, a massive group. There's not, there are not that many of us out there. Um, and so I think that's something that needs to change. Like I want more, you know, black leaders coming up and saying like, this is what I want to do. This is what I, um, you know, I, I striving for. I had some of my employees tell me that like, I want to be the next black CFO. I'm like, let's get you there. Like, let's figure out what we need to do. Um, so my, my suggestion is let's, let's, let's build that group and start supporting others who, who really want to get to that level. And if you're not in finance, move into finance. It's a great industry. It's interesting. Learning a business and learning how a business operates from a financial perspective is critical and it's amazing. And once you have that knowledge, you can help so many of your, your friends and peers and family and just even yourself in the way that you think about finance and you think about your, your internal assets. So, so I think more folks should move into finance I want to help everyone get there. And if you are a CFO or a financial uh, leader uh, and you're black, reach out to me. Let's start something. Now, have you ever thought about doing your own thing, consultant, saying like, you know what, I've got so much knowledge out here. I wasn't going to do my, has I ever thought about in the back of your mind, like eventually you want to go that way and just say, you know, I want to have my own business or you're kind of like, I'm good where I'm at. Yeah, I would say I, I, I haven't. I'm always I'm always there for the phone calls and there to support folks that that need it. Um, but I haven't start thought of starting my own thing because I am quite happy where I am. Um, but I, I I think that you know it's it's helping those who just may not understand or may not you know really be thinking about all of the all of the, the questions that they need to be asking themselves. I think, you know, finance is a, is a industry that is like, how, like get to the root cause, get down to that number, get down to that root cause. And um, I really believe that um, that is an amazing skill to, to be able to do. And um, so I think helping those who need it around me, I think is, is perfect. All right, all right. So you. You got, you know, I know you're sweating right now. We're about to get you off the hot seat. You know, you're all, you, you got the gambit of, you know, the 100th episode again, again, I'm so proud to have you on the show. I'm excited. I'm honored that you, we had time and make this happen. So we're going to, we're going to do some rapid fire questions. This is the fun part. Rapid fire. Okay. All right. Who is your favorite author? You know, right now I'm reading Barack Obama's book. So I'm going to say him. Okay. Okay. 
your what who's your favorite music artist? Oh goodness. Wow, this rapid fire is supposed to be fast, huh? <laughs> you can name a couple. You can name a couple. Okay, I'll tell you who I'm listening to right now. Um, Sade. Okay. Um, I am listening to Baby Shark for my little one. <laughs> and uh, I've been listening to a lot of jazz. I've been listening to Coltrane while I work. I think that's been, it's been like really therapeutic for me to do that. All right. Your favorite place to visit in the world? Capri in Italy. A lot of people say Italy. A lot of people say Italy. Okay. Yes. Yes. <laughs> this is like a funny one. Flats or drums? I don't know what that means. Chicken, chicken wings. Chicken wings. You got the drums. Oh. Everybody always like, I don't <laughs> Come on. You don't remember the sassy sauce days? Come on. Oh, I do. I do. I would say flats. All right. All right. Blue cheese or ranch? Blue cheese for wings, ranch for pizza. Okay, okay, okay. Crabs or lobster? Lobster. <laughs> I knew a New England person had to come out and say that. Um, somebody you have met that left you speechless. You didn't want to say at that moment, but you were kind of like, wow, you were in awe. Michelle Obama left me speechless. Okay. What inspires you every day? My family. My family is an inspiration. Everyone from my parents, my wife, my son, you know, they all, all of them consistently. I, I, when I think about what I'm doing, it is for, for, you know, them, my wife, my son, it's, my family is everything. I, I hear them in the background. So we got to hurry up. <laughs> so what is the best advice you've ever received? I sound like a broken record but I'm gonna say it one more time. Know your S. When you are working on something, if you, even if you are like writing a screenplay and you want, you know, certain people to be a part of it and you want the art to be this way, like know everything and believe everything so that you can support it. Um, I always, always have facts behind everything so that I can really make sure that I'm doing a great job. So um, know, know what you need to know so that you can and really articulate it well and, and do a phenomenal job. Right, uh, I love it, I love it, I love it. Thank you so much. I mean, again, this is the 100th, 100th episode. Ms. Dieter, I'm so happy that you came on the show. After two years, we finally got you on for an hour to sit you down. And I'm again, I'm so happy that you came on and for Black History Month, celebrating black women doing big things. And we, we really salute people on the show. We're really blowing black history up this month because black history is every every day to year for me. Mm -hmm. For some, they want to hear a little bit more in Black History Month. And I'm going to give my listeners a little something, something. And, you know, I, I told people, they're like, they're probably like, oh, it's not from Baltimore. We're going to make it. We can make this worldwide now. We're going to make sure everybody, everybody, I guess I got people from all corners of the, of the earth. <laughs> this month and I really wanted to shine light on you on what you're doing and guess what maybe somebody out there who's watching or listening say wow she looks like me I'm, I'm so excited mm -hmm. I didn't see this this makes, mm -hmm. this makes my heart warm and, and that's what this that's what this show is all about positivity yes. and I want to make sure people understand what it's all about you can do it and again know your s yes you don't know, know it your... you ain't going, <laughs> you're not going too far you know what I mean so again folks 
It's been a pleasure for the 100th episode. Again, I'm again. Thank you so much for coming on. Is there any last word you want to say? Reach out to me, D E E N E L S at Instagram. If you ever have questions, I'm here for you. I love Baltimore. My parents are in the in uh, PG County. Go Maryland, go Crab Cakes. Um, and Aaron, thank you so much for having me on your 100th episode. I'm really, really thrilled to be a part of this. And um, I think everything is going to be awesome. Thank you. Yeah, I appreciate it. When you come back to the East Coast, we got to get a, that the Coco's Crab Cakes I got you last time. So Yes, yes. All right, now, folks, we're out. Love, peace, happiness. We'll see you later. <laughs>